You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. What happened when we started singing All Hail King Jesus? Right? Uh, I just, I like to, um, <clears throat> I like to take note of those moments when the Lord, <clears throat> you can feel him show up in a much more tangible, corporate, powerful kind of way. I, I actually think that it's because we started singing All Hail King Jesus that Michael had the idea to pray for flat feet to pop into arches, and we actually saw some, some miracles. Isn't it amazing how when we corporately unify around a, a, a song or, or telling him who he is, he just can't help himself but show up and prove that's who he is. I just love that. Like you can't, you can't outgive him. As soon as you tell him who he is, or or, or send some praise towards him, it's like he, it's like he's he's rubber and we're glue, and it bounces off him and sticks to you. Like he just has to reciprocate. Like that 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 moment when we're just pouring out our love and adoration. He's like, all right, let's do this. I love that. <sighs> Who's wearing something they got for Christmas other than me? <laughs> Y'all look great. Every good and perfect gift comes from Father of Heavenly Lights from above, from Walmart or Target. You guys all look awesome. Um, I started remembering uh, this story about my friend. I've got a friend named Rick. He lives out in Wilmington, North Carolina, and he disciples the homeless. He's made a church for the homeless, and, and um, really just a dynamic, loving guy. And one time when I was out there visiting him, um, we were serving. In fact, I think that, well, she's not in here, but Allie, who plays on keys, she was there with me. We took the Encounter Jesus School, which is a little ministry school out there to the East Coast. So anyway, one time we're there just to help out and minister, and, and this guy walks up who, just from external appearance, we could tell was homeless. He had hair that was so matted it looked like, you know, eagle feathers, and um, just tattered clothes and, and, and smelled like he had been homeless and had um, fingernails that, were, that looked like claws. And when he started walking up, um, you know, a lot of us go go into like ministry mode, like, you know, here here comes one. Let's let's figure out like what we can do to help them. Let's ask him. Let's lead him to Jesus. Well, my friend Rick, who started this ministry, shouts Melvin, and runs over to this guy, and hugs him and holds him as if a long lost brother has returned. And he's, he's making a scene about it. I mean, it's, it's just burned in my memory. And um, he uh, makes sure that Melvin gets a, a shower and, and a haircut and a mani-pedi. And I'm, I'm, he's, Melvin's getting the works. He's getting new clothes and, and, a, and a huge meal that evening and a warm bed to sleep in. And I, and I talked to Rick about like why he reacted like that, and he said that 
Melvin was, he's his friend. He, he's a guy who used to come around um, the homeless shelter a lot, and they developed a relationship and, and started to have a, a real connection. And then Melvin disappeared, and Rick thought that he had died of whatever could happen to someone who's living out on the streets. And, but when he saw him, his heart just brimmed with joy. And I just, I'll, I'll never forget that because that was like a love that I don't know yet. I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that kind of supernatural love. And, um, and Rick moves in more miraculous signs and wonders than just about anyone I've ever met. It's not just that he throws his arms around homeless people, but he sees physical manifestations of God's power in the form of healing and deliverance and prophetic words. I mean, this guy is one of the most accurate prophets I've ever met. And I believe that this real power comes from real love. It comes from real connection and it comes from real family. I grew up going to a church I grew up going to a lot of church, actually. We, <laughs> my mom and dad are here tonight. They can attest to this. My mom cleaned the church. My dad was a sound guy. My dad, uh, uh, he uh, <clears throat> sang back up. My mom worked the overhead projector. You remember back in the day when we had transparencies? <clears throat> she was good with those transparencies, too. As soon as the verse came, she was on it. Back to chorus. <laughs> So I grew up going to a lot of church, a lot of youth group services, a lot of youth group events, and um, it became normal for me to have tons of friends who were just as close as family. See, I I loved my church experience. I loved my my, uh, Sunday school and youth group, and and after um, I graduated, I ended up going to a ministry school, and I love that church and the ministry, ministry school in that church. And so I, I knew what it was like to worship with people in a way where it's become family. And I knew what it was like when the corporate anointing showed up from an early age, from childhood. I wouldn't be able to wouldn't have been able to tell you what it was or define it, but when we were worshiping God in unity on a Sunday morning and you could feel God show up, I, I knew what that was even from a, from a young age. And I just, I feel so blessed and privileged to have grown up in a church that loved the Holy Spirit and valued family so much so that I'm pretty much possessed with the, sa- the desire to create the same place here. That our kids would be able to grow up in a place where they would know the Holy Spirit. That we would be able to lock arms in such a way that complete strang- people who are complete strangers a month ago are now one of your closest friends. You'd call them a brother or a sister and not just in a Christianese kind of way because you have to love everybody. But in a way where like if you were torn from my life, I would feel it torn from my life. My wife and I have led church meetings and and home group meetings for more than a decade. And when you lead these gatherings of holy ones, eventually you ask yourself, why am I doing this? And you ask yourself, and, and 
if you, if you get that why answered, well, then you start asking, you know, what is it supposed to look like when we gather together? It's a sacred gathering of ambassadors of heaven. The sons and daughters of the living God who have been transformed into new creations who embody not just the image, but the nature of Jesus, that there is glory hidden in every single one of you. And all it takes is a moment of open eyes of our heart to see the Jesus sitting right next to you. I know a lot of us came to minister to to God in worship and prayer, which is our first ministry. But I think that we would be surprised what would happen if we begin to look around the room to try to see Jesus and the person sitting next to us. The encounters that will begin to happen when we honor the glory hidden inside will be amazing. It's like a big gumbo pot. We all brought gifts and callings and manifestations of the Holy Spirit and we're throwing it in and we're all enjoying it together. So what is it really supposed to look like when we come together? Because we gather for a lot of reasons. You guys have all been to concerts and sporting events. You've been to sales meetings and PTAs and AAs probably. (laughs) But it should be obvious, it should be obvious that a gathering like this is different from those, right? Well, what about a seminar where you go and you hear a motivational speaker who inspires you with great spiritual truths? What about if three of us gather at Starbucks and, and just talk about life or talk about God? Is a, is a church meeting different than that? Why did you bring your family across town tonight? These are important questions to ask, and I think that there's a lot of power hidden in the answers. So I mentioned this a minute ago, but the first reason we come here is to minister to God. 1 Peter 2.5 says that you yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God? Anybody? Worship, yeah. What kind of worship? Hey, I love that. You only have a few decades to worship God when it's hard. You know how easy it's going to be on the crystal sea? When we see him face to face and the party is like on, there's no doubt, there's no trouble, there's no tax man, like, (laughs) it's going to be easy to worship God. So yes, like an acceptable sacrifice is to come and give God gratitude, this thanksgiving and praise, even when it's hard. To thank him for what you have, even when you've lost. What else is an acceptable spiritual sacrifice? I think that prayer, dancing before the Lord, 
It's a type of praise. Do you know that there are prescriptions for praise in the Bible that have nothing to do with your preferences for praise? So like when you read scripture, it talks about ways that God likes to be praised. You want to praise God the way that he likes to be praised, right? It's talking about shouting to the Lord and dancing and, and bowing. It's talking about the presence of God showing up and extreme ecstatic joy happening. What would it look like if everyone barged through those doors and came hurtling into this room like Mary of Bethany with her oil. It would be messy. It might be socially awkward to our modern definitions of what is socially acceptable. I think that God would be thrilled. If we came through those doors and just afflicted with this desire to tell him how good he is and how worthy he is of all this praise and this 10% of our money and like everything that we've got, you can have it all. Thank you for letting me keep 90%. Like, <laughs> if we came through those doors just pouring out our adoration, what in the world? could begin to happen in this room. What else does a church service, what, is it, what else is it supposed to look like? Um, I've got, you got Acts 2.42. Can you put that up here? Here are four key things. This is the first century church. Jesus has died, resurrected, ascended, and then hung out with them and then told them to wait in the upper room for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father gets poured out. The Holy Spirit is wrecking shop on everyone's heart in the most awesome kind of way. Tongues of fire come, and the church is inaugurated by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like. In Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer, or the prayers. So when we come together, God loves it when we hold to his word, when we have revelatory and firm and, and solid teachings from scripture, when we're holding to the apostles' teaching, He highly values fellowship. Do you guys know where that term came from? It comes from two fellows rowing in a ship. If they're back-to-back -back rowing opposite directions, what happens? <laughs> that ship goes nowhere. So fellowship is actually us unified, facing the same direction, doing something together, and enjoying one another while we do it. You make really good friends when you're in the foxholes. Like when we're working towards something really hard together and we're rowing in the same direction, even if it's against the current, we're rowing hard together. That's fellowship. They're devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. 
I'm going to talk more about the breaking of bread later on, but prayer is incredible. I mean, we, we get to talk to God. We get to actually have a hand in orchestrating events, historical events on planet Earth. When we come together in agreement, there is so much power. There's things moving in the heavenlies that are moving things in the earthly when we come together and pray. What else is it supposed to look like when we gather together? This is one of my favorite verses. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you gather together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. And let all things be done for building up. Tonight, I don't know if you knew this, but the first song that we sang tonight, Cody, Cody Lee helped write. Isn't that right? So right off the bat, we are singing a song that actually came from this community. Isn't that cool? I love that. Choose this day to be grateful, God. I love that song, man. (laughs) I like you. Please come back. (laughs) Yeah, Cody, when we were singing that song... I actually, I saw a vision for you. Uh, I saw <laughs> the Lord was digging a hole, and you thought it was a grave, but it wasn't done yet. It was the deep end of a swimming pool. And when you saw it, you were so grateful and so excited that you built a diving board. And the Lord said that your songs are going to be like diving boards for not only you, but many people to jump into the deep end, the things of the Spirit with God. Anybody else feel that? This isn't me trying to build myself up. The Holy Spirit already did that. (laughs) I just, again, I like to take note of those moments when you feel the anointing come, when you feel power come. So we've done a few of the things already. We've sung someone's song. Michael had a prophetic word. I had a prophetic word. We, we laid hands on people. Uh, the, from this list, it, it's not, it, it's, he's not trying to create a, uh, a closed list. He's just saying, everybody come with something. You can come with a testimony. You can come with a, a, a verse that's just been blowing your mind. You can come with a, a smile and an encouraging word for the person next to you, or you can come with your brokenness because someone is gifted in healing. If you're afraid to be broken and honest, then it's going to rob people of opportunities to be strong. Paul was, uh, he was all about creating order, too. He had, a, he had the interesting job of trying to um, bridle the stallion that is the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had, like, all these gifts and, and manifestations of the Spirit and just 
craziness going on. And if you think about it, all these people recently came out of like polytheism and crazy worship. And I mean, it was revolutionary that they were just worshiping one God. It was so crazy that they, they when, when one manifestation of the Holy Spirit, like healing would manifest, some people got confused and thought the God of healing is here. And if someone began to prophesy, they would think oh, maybe, maybe that's a different God. So Paul's like, no, 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 no. There's one spirit. You're all baptized into one body and one spirit. And, and, he, and he begins to explain these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he even says, he's, he's trying to create a safe place even. He's saying, y'all can prophesy. Every one of you. You, you guys can all prophesy, but do it one by one. <laughs> Take your turns so that everyone can be edified. Everyone can hear this. So let one prophesy and the other remain silent. He's, he's saying take turns. And then, and then he says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So that's great news. So like before you think that we're trying to create a really messy environment, we're not. The Holy Spirit does that well enough on his own. But we actually, we actually want to create a really safe environment. And, he, and Paul is saying I've actually, I looked this up in tons of different commentaries where he says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. All the commentaries are agreeing, which is crazy, that um, that means that a prophet has the ability to control his inclination to speak, which means you can't say God made me do it. (laughs) It's good news. It's Paul being pastoral. Thank you, Paul. Wouldn't that mean that um, we would have control over ourselves if we were operating in lesser gifts? Also, and Paul says that prophecy is the, the, the greater gift. It's one of the greatest gifts. And so if prophets have the ability to con- control themselves and give their prophetic words in a certain manner at a certain time, that means that the lesser gifts we also have a say in, Right? Has anybody just, never mind, don't, I'm not going to ask, ask it like that, but let me just say this, God isn't going to stomp on your diaphragm and cause tongues to shoot out of your face. <laughs> He's not. We, we choose to engage in these things. Okay, moving on. Hebrews 10.25 says, um, don't neglect the, uh, to meet together, as, of the, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This was 2,000 years ago. So all the more, year after year after year, he, like he, it's even more important that we gather to encourage each other. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I just want to give you guys a, a bunch of biblical reasons to keep on hanging out. So why do we hang out? I gave a few things of what it looks like when we, when we get together, when the saints gather, but why do we do it? Let me tell you, for me, I'm pretty selfish. I want to see Jesus. And when we gather, it is the body of Christ. 
gathering, a fuller manifestation of Christ on the earth is in this room. You guys really, I, I selfishly want you to be yourselves, to be free to be yourselves, because I want to see Jesus shining through you. I want to encounter God. Like we're, we're, Michael and I don't come up here and, and preach and prophesy and, or, or lead stuff to like for our own egos most of the time or to like to look good most of the time. Like, <laughs> y'all know what I'm saying. No one has perfect motivations. On a, on a good day, on a good day, I'm probably 60% pure in my motivations. <laughs> but if you wait for your motivations to be pure, God is never going to use you. I just want you to know that. <clears throat> Just start where you're at. <laughs> I want to see a fuller manifestation of Christ on the earth. And that's going to happen when we are ourselves. I've got so many bunny trails. I'm just going to keep on going with it. David, when he is about to go fight Goliath, he goes to the king and says, I hear this guy has been taunting the armies of the living God and no one's doing anything about it. Let me go kill him for you. And David's like, this, let me go kill him for you. <laughs> and Saul looks at him and says, Goliath has been a fighting man since his youth and you are only a youth. And he's, and he's, look, he's nine foot tall and he's got a, a, a spear the size of a weaver's beam. I don't know what a weaver's beam is, but it's probably big. You don't want that thing chucked at you. So David is saying, I'll go take him out for you. And Saul's like, you can't do it. And David's like, yes, I can. I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. He's going to fall just like one of those. And Saul's like, okay, well, at least put on my armor. And David tries it on and clink, 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 clink. And, it's, and he's, he says, I, I can't fight him like this. It's not going to work for me. But what he knows how to do is sling some stones. And so if you can hear this, it's, it's symbolic, it's prophetic or spiritual language. He is saying, I can't go out there like you. I have to be me. Your anointing and your armor has been great for you for many years, but I'm not going to pretend to be you when I go take down my Goliath. I know what I can do, and that's to sing songs on a harp and lyre and, and sling stones from a sling. And he had to go be himself. Guys, let's be ourselves. One time, uh, this idea became really cemented to me one time when I was asked to, to preach at a church. And before getting up, I got kind of nervous. And I started thinking, well, what would... Um, this guy named Brad McClendon. He's like a spiritual father of mine. I said, well, what would Brad McClendon do? And so I got up there and I started like kind of preaching and acting like Brad McClendon. And I got this little glimpse <clears throat> into uh, the spirit realm, which happens every once in a while. And I saw all these angels, probably a dozen angels above people, and they were doing stuff. And when I started acting like Brad, they all turned to me like that, like looking. And I realized they were confused because I started to put on a disguise of someone else's mantle and they couldn't operate the way that they were intended to operate through my mantle. 
Take it or leave it. <laughs> Why do we get together? Because we want to stay connected to Jesus. Lone sheep are wolf bait. This is the body of Christ. How do we intend to stay connected to the head, which is Christ, if we're not connected to his body? If my finger turns to me and says, I don't want to be part of your body, and you know, runs away, <laughs> how long is it going to survive? It's not connected to blood flow. We gather because we have blind spots. I have blind spots, and I need brothers to point them out to me, gently, please, like, <laughs> from time to time. I need those blind spots. <laughs> point it out. <clears throat> we just can't do it alone, and not only that, we can't fully accomplish our purposes if we're not going to do it with the people that God wants us connected to. There's just no more rogue Christianity, one-man show, superhero, man of power stuff. He is moving through family now. That's the day and age that we're in. And a lot of us uh, have abandoned our people because we thought we were following our purposes, and God is bringing us back around to realize that our people are our purpose. It's not for everyone, it's for some of us. <clears throat> I'm going to say something kind of abrasive, but there's a reason for it. It's because I want you to remember it. When we say things like, I love God, but I just, I hate the church. I, I hate organized religion. I, 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 I love God, but I, I hate the church. I love God, but I hate his people. That... This is the abrasive part, and I'm only saying it so that we remember it. It's like saying to your wife, I love your face, but I hate your body. Who would ever do that? You're saying to your spouse, you're saying to God, who is your husband, like this, everything up here, you got it going on. <laughs> hate your body. What kind of relationship are you going to have with God at that point? Sorry if that was abrasive. <clears throat> he is the head of the church. It's Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. Which means that, he, like, he actually came to set up a government. He said that first apostles, then prophets. He's setting up a government. He, and, and the apostles, they, they create deacons to take care of the, the, the needs of the people. He, the reason Jesus came was to set up the new wineskin to contain his glory, which is the church. If he's the head, then that means that there are Connective tissues, I, I know that every metaphor has a breakdown point at some point, but if he's the head, then, then there are communication cells. There are apostles receiving information from the head and passing it down. There are prophets who are making it palatable or teachers who are making it palatable. And it's, 
And, and the prophets are seeing, you know, where the body is going so that we can be prepared for the season that we're entered in. Because if you haven't bought a winter jacket, church, and winter's coming, you know what I mean? Like, sorry. I told you every metaphor has its breakdown at some point. <laughs> this is James 3.1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. God establishes teachers for the bride who have some sort of mature connection to the word and an ability to articulate it in a way that people can turn it into spiritual truths that will help them. It's the word becoming flesh in us. Why we gather? Because we need leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders as ones who look after your soul and must give an account. So God actually entrusts his children to people that he deems trustworthy to watch over his children. It's the way he set it up. It's family. It's the, it is the most safe place to be, is rightly connected to a family where you have leadership that you're submitted to. See, the church is to the kingdom what army bases are to the war. God just, he delights in delegated authority. You can ask the question, well, why, God, why doesn't God just do it himself? Well, he... He's always delighted to see what it looks like when he puts his authority on people. And we act like he does. He is a father. And every father loves to see his kids grow up into that kind of authority. Did you guys that know that, you've, I don't know if you've thought about this. I've thought about this. There would be no Bible if there were no churches. The Bible, the whole New Testament was written to churches to be read. So there has to be a gathering of saints for these letters to land on. If you read the beginning of Revelation, it's to the seven churches. He's, he's releasing information from heaven to the apostles and prophets people who can write and disseminate this information and it's getting out to all of his sheep. And yes, he does talk to his sheep. All of his sheep know his voice. But God has created a safety structure for everyone to grow up into and it's called the church. The fivefold ministry was actually meant for the church. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastor, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body. So there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the body. And our namesake, upper room, the outpouring happened where there was an in-gathering. We gather together because there is a multiplied power. There is a, more manifestations of the Spirit. We gather together in unity because it is a sign and a wonder when humans can unify. <laughs> and God is like, well, I got to pour my power out now. Look at him go. Like, <laughs> and, you know, 
I might be just preaching to the choir, but I've, I've had conversations with people who th- think that it's okay just to have their own spiritual life with God outside the church. They go to Starbucks, they read the word, they have these, you know, revelations, and, and it's just not going to work. And they, you might come up with this argument that that's how Jesus lived his life, but I found this verse, Luke 4.16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day, and there he stood up to read. Here's Jesus himself, the incarnation of Yahweh on earth. And every week, he's going to Sabbath to read, to stand up and read. Jesus had a rhythm to his life. He did not forsake the gathering. See, while Jesus was on the cross, part of the physical ordeal that he was enduring was having his bones pulled out of joint. It says in Psalm 22, 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. This is actually a prophetic statement. David is seeing, singing something about the future. He's singing something about the suffering servant in Jesus. While he's hanging on the cross, one of the medical things that happen happens when someone is nailed to a cross is that all of your joints, your bones are hanging from ligament to ligament. And all of his bones are out of joint. And Christ became disjointed. And it actually happened in the church also. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. His body came out of joint. And Jesus' body is still a little disjointed and scattered today, and it's our job to put him back together on earth. We have to connect. We just develop deep friendships. It's like one of the simplest sounding things, but it's so mystically, spiritually powerful when we develop deep friendships with each other. This is Jesus' famous last chapter of prayer for us. He's praying that we would be one. When Jesus talked about how we have to eat him in John chapter 6, he's saying, your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, but he who eats of this is going to live forever. He actually says it seven times, you have to eat me. My, my, my food, or my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is, is drink indeed. And he's saying, you, you literally have to ingest all of me. You know, the, the Passover lamb, Jesus is the Passover lamb, but the first Passover, the Israelites had to eat all of the lamb, leave nothing behind, which means we can't pick and choose the things that we like about Jesus in church and spit out the rest. Jesus is beginning to prophetically, he's talking about communion, which today we understand is, you know, wafers and, and, and grape juice. But back then, he's, he's saying this really revolutionary thing, you, you have to ingest me to have eternal life. You have to literally drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they didn't have any kind of understanding for it. And um, when Jesus gave this sermon, he was speaking in front of thousands of people. Can you imagine 
the disciples in that moment, they finally have like this mega church going and people think they're really cool because they're best friends with the mega church pastor, Jesus. And they have their biggest gathering, the biggest conference they've ever put on. There's thousands of people and this guy who like is their street cred, you know, pastor Jesus stands up and says, you got to eat me. And, you know, Bartholomew and Matthew and, and Peter are like, why couldn't you have just given one of your other teachings today? <laughs> and everybody's getting offended. They're like, why in the world did we travel across town to hear this cannibal? And, and it says in John 6, 6, 6, John 6, 66, many of his disciples, that's 6-6, six, six, but 666 says many of his disciples left and followed him no more. <laughs> that's, not, that's the trail they took. Parkwood Boulevard, don't go down that road, guys. <laughs> the very teaching that Jesus was giving to gather everybody unto him to unify everyone to him was a teaching that divided everyone and it's still the same today I know that I probably annoyed some of you tonight, and it probably sounded like I'm trying to control or manipulate or get you to do something you don't want to do, like get involved in community, go to home groups. Like, this is where the power is hidden. Don't let it be the thing that scatters. So when everybody's leaving... They're all walking away, you know, this huge mega church gathering, and the disciples are there embarrassed because all everybody who's anybody is there, and they're now labeled cannibal followers or whatever. They're, you know, they're, they're the weird people, and everybody is leaving offended. There's this opportunity for them to leave too, and Jesus is asking them, you know, do you want to leave me too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? Usually, someone would say, where am I going to go? Right? But something happened in Peter's heart over the last few months. And home was no longer a location, it was a man. Home was a community. And he's saying, to whom where am I going to find another you? Where am I going to find another James? Where am I going to find another John? Where am I going to find another Judas, the good one? <laughs> Saying, this is my home. You are my home, Jesus. To whom am I going to go? And then he says another thing. Only you have the words of eternal life. And I believe that in this moment, this is recorded in eternal scripture for us to give us two keys for enduring through offense and staying connected to community. 
you have to have deep friendship where you realize you're not going to find that person anywhere else. You're not going to find that leader or that, that community anywhere else. And, oh man, the revelation, the words of eternal life in that place, there's, there's just power present. Those are two keys to enduring in the moment when you are offended. When I am offended too. Um, we said we're going to take communion, but I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about communion in a different way because this is um, this is something more than grape juice and and whatever that thing is on top of it. <laughs> Actually, I've got a scripture. Never mind. Um, <clears throat> On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he, he took the cup and said, this is my blood. And he took the, the or sorry, he took the, the bread, broke it, and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body just broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He said, do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> the Lord one time told me, we all love the blood, but we hate the body. And he said, but if you become the body, I'll supply the blood. And I don't know about you, but these wafers taste weird. <laughs> because it's the body. He's saying you have to ingest one another. Eating me is now eating the person next to you. <laughs> we are bringing someone into our life in such an intimate way that they're becoming part of us. We're be becoming part of them. That is, e that is eating the body. And he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. Because remember, on the cross, he was dismembered. He's saying, put me back together. Remember me. And so when we take communion tonight, what we're actually um, proclaiming before God and into the spirit realm and everything that's looking on tonight, we're proclaiming that we are a family, that we're in this together, that we're not going to give up on you or you or you, that when you have something you need and if I can help you or supply or be part of the solution, I'm going to be there. There are the practical things about just showing up. You guys, I almost cried when, when I needed people to, to unload my, my uh, moving truck because it was 40 degrees and raining, and I thought, oh, there's, I wouldn't blame anyone for not showing up. You know what happened? Ten friends, ten residents from the upper room residency showed up when it's pouring rain. That Car after car after car showed up, and we unloaded this thing in the rain. I mean, just stuff like that is, is being the body. You don't know, the, the, the place that I want to be when things go wrong is intimately connected to a body who will care for me. 
I have story after story. I remember one time uh, I was teaching a, a ministry school. I was leading this ministry school, and, and a, this student came in, and she was visibly distraught and late. And uh, we asked her what was going on, and she said she came out to her car in the morning, and it was sitting on cinder blocks, and her tires and wheels were gone. And I was, I was really annoyed at that. And so when she had, when she left the room. Um, my partner in crime, his name is Vincent. We talked to all the other students and we say, what are we going to do about this? And wallets opened up. And I'm talking poor ministry school students throwing down Benji's and 20s. <laughs> and we collected more than $600 and she, uh, we gave it to her and it, obviously it visibly impacted her to be cared for, to be loved like that, to be shown what it's like to be part of a body. She went out, she was able to buy the wheels and tires and it came out to almost exactly what we gave her. We gave her like 30 bucks too much and I think she just went out and had a dinner with her husband with the extra money. I mean, there's just stories after stories after stories like that and it just doesn't happen out in the world. You're going to have hundred times more incredible stories of people being saved by the goodness of others inside the church. So becoming the body is not giving up on each other. It's showing up when we need to show up. It's saying that your battles are my battles, your victories are my victories. It's, it's mourning with people who are mourning. It's running up to that guy named Melvin who, who had the dreaded out hair and looked homeless and throwing your arms around him welcoming him, him in. Do you guys want to be a body like that? Then take this wafer, and even if you have to look someone in the eye, let's just recognize that this isn't just between you and God. This is between you and this room and the, the, the family sitting next to you and the friends around you, and you're proclaiming it into the spirit realm that this is important. We are putting Jesus back together on the earth.